Welcome to Clareton Conversation. My name is Katie Bester, and our guest today is Tor Bridges, the filmmaker and the uh, film mentor for young women. Tor is a Harvard-educated BAFTA award-winning film producer who's worked with a variety of companies, including the BBC and Lotus Films. She brings, I think it's safe to say, inspiring stories to the public eye. Her 2019 BBC documentary called Anna, The Woman Who Went to Fight ISIS, gained huge praise as well as five stars in The Telegraph. She is also the founding executive director of Global Goal Media UK, a charity which empowers young disadvantaged women in digital media skills. Welcome to Clareton Conversation Tour. Hi, Katie. Thanks. So, Tor, you've got a reputation for, you know, almost uniquely in the documentary-making world of being able to make touching, heart-moving, passionate, intimate documentaries about harder-to-deal-with international topics and events, from development aid, I think I've seen one of those that you've done, mental illness, um, and most recently, your film called, your documentary on the BBC, Anne and the Woman Who Went to Fight ISIS. You know, this marriage of the personal and the political is what typifies your work. Would you, would you say that's a fair thing to say? Yeah, I think I think that is a fair assessment of what I try to do. I always believe that it's the personal story that will most intrigue and bring my audience into the bigger picture story. So I'm passionate about human rights, I'm passionate about the environment, but one can't necessarily just deliver a stream of facts and images and expect your audience to be grabbed by that, to be inspired by that, to make change on the basis of that. I believe people want a personal story and are um, enthused by a personal story and that that is the way into the global picture, yeah. I, well, obviously, I'm a publisher, so I think storytelling is hardwired into us. And we learn through storytelling as opposed to through data. Unfortunately, for things like global warming, climate change, you know, the world would be a better place if we all could be moved by data like, like scientists can be. But the vast majority of us are moved by the story of one individual responding to events on the ground. So, but it just seems to be almost an impossible thing. It's like squaring a circle. And how did you manage to do this tour that you've managed to imbue the personal element into complex political information? I think I've always been fascinated by people. Uh, My fascination in documentary storytelling began back in college many, many years ago. Um, I consider it a great privilege to be able to walk into people's lives and uncover their most intimate secrets. I'm always amazed and honored at how open people are and how willing to share their personal stories with me they are. from that fascination with the individual, that belief in the individual, that belief in the essential dignity of each person, I think I became inspired to broaden it out. But I I have, as someone who teaches yoga, as a Buddhist meditator, I have a belief in the essential equality between all beings, the essential fact that everyone wants to be happy, everyone 
is struggling to find peace and freedom in their lives. And so I start from a position of wanting to portray or showcase that individual from the most respectful point of view. I think that comes through. Thank you. So that I, I find it quite quite interesting that you used yoga and Buddhism as a source of inspiration for you because, you know, when you talked about the essential dignity of a human being and human rights and how we have to treat everyone as if they're just like you and me, regardless of the circumstances, you know, there but for the grace of God goes I, you know, you know, we, we drew the lucky long straw and that comes from a philosophical orientation. That's unusual, Tor. <laughs> this is not a mercantile approach at all, I have to say. It's the exact opposite of the banking industry. Would you say this is typical of your experience in the creative industry, that we're, we're coming from a different point? Um, no, my, my experience of the broadcast industry, I entered the BBC in the 80s as a researcher in the documentary department, and my experience was of a very hierarchical very male-run, very uh, mercantilist kind of approach to documentary filmmaking. And I think I became quite disenchanted with that. I met my husband, Sean Smith, who's a documentary filmmaker, many years later. But I found in him that same passion to tell a story as a non-judgmental witness or almost to allow others to tell their own stories rather than bringing that more top-down approach whereby a director walks into a situation and says this is how we're going to do it and this is how I'm going to edit your story without actually that much honouring of the person whose story you're trying to tell or allow them to tell. So you're using a language that's almost old-fashioned to her. <laughs> I don't know if you realise that. Honour, dignity. This is a language This is, is antiquated. How did someone who... How did you cope with the kind of the frustrations of being the bottom rung of the ladder in an organisation which, you know, I dare say does not recognize those kinds of values. How did you deal with that? Well, I left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What else can you do? Because you're yeah. not going to change the beep. <laughs> exactly. It was moving like, you know, mud through the 21st century. And I found, I felt very frustrated coming from America, where I believe you know, the attitude to women was a more, much more advanced by decades. So coming into the BBC, having had my education in America, having had my first two jobs in America as the manager of a photo studio in a production company in New York, I then came to the BBC and realised, as you say, I was bottom rung. And uh, whatever I said to these predominantly male directors to encourage them to take me seriously as a member of the team, nothing seemed to work. So I left, I became a freelancer and with Sean then, after several years of uh, working my way up from researcher to producer to from producer to finally directing my own films, I decided that it still wasn't moving fast enough and that Sean and I were going to go off. This was the early days of... Um, Small cameras. Sean is a brilliant 
uh, camera operator, which isn't necessarily my forte, but I knew how to structure a film. So we just decided to go and find those subjects that we were interested in. For instance, we went to Pakistan and made a film following a human rights activist, an amazing man who put his life on the line to free literal slaves working on farms in southern Pakistan. So we went and lived with him for several weeks and we went with him to these farms where all the guards had guns and he would turn up without his gun and say, by the way, it's illegal for you to hold those slaves in chains and then those slaves would be released. And I had such Um, encouraging powerful response from that from Pakistani people who said we had no idea this was going on in our country and it was that that gave me I have a belief that film that documentary film has the capacity to change people's minds a story told where the individual is respected where their experience is valued where their voice is honoured, if you like, to use that old-fashioned term, that that will engage people and encourage them to make the changes required. I believe in social justice filmmaking, in impact filmmaking. I believe in a solutions-based form of filmmaking. So just, just I'm, I'm, this is quite inspiring that you're almost talking film as, as a catalyst for change. Absolutely. And that when people can see and know and learn about either a wrongdoing, like the slaves in Pakistan, or about, you know, a human rights abuse elsewhere in the world, then this can then inspire them to change their own lives. So it's in an odd way, it's very pragmatic, which is just an interesting dichotomy, Tor. So you've got this language which is imbued with values, with a very pragmatic, down-to-earth goal of let's change a policy. I think that would be fair to say. I think that I think that I go about the business of making films with a view to changing people's minds. Although I believe in the BBC, uh, the values on which the BBC was was founded back in 1922 of impartiality. Uh, in showing both sides of a story. But I very definitely come from a particular point of view on that story, and I don't hide my position. I show where my sympathies lie. Which is why your films are so passionate. Was there any particular film that inspired you to have such a pragmatic, this that mirroring, squaring this circle, mirroring the two things that don't normally get married of passion and documentary filmmaking. Was there any particular film that inspired you to take this course? I think the film, the film that illustrates best the marriage between my passion for the individual story with the greater political story is a film that I made most recently, very recently. It's still on iPlayer, actually. Uh, um, It's called Anna, the Woman Who Went to Fight ISIS. And it's extremely personal to me. Anna was my niece. She died when she went to fight with the Kurds against ISIS and was ultimately killed in a Turkish airstrike in Afrin when Turkey occupied the Kurdish town of Afrin in northern Syria. It's clearly a very shocking, tragic story, and I recognized it immediately as 
something that would touch and move people. I knew from day one when I went to see my brother-in-law immediately after we all heard the news. I went down with Anna's two sisters who were with me when we heard the news of Anna's death. We went down to Dirk's home, my brother-in-law's home in Lewis. Because your sister predeceased. My sister had died of breast cancer. Relatively recently. Relatively recently. We were all still trying to come to terms with the loss of my sister. So I went down and there was an ITV crew, door-stopping Dirk, door-stepping Dirk, whatever the expression is, who had just come out of Dirk's flat. And I said, what are you doing here? And they said, oh, it's fine. Dirk said it was fine to come and talk to him. And I thought, this is the day he's just learned about his daughter's death. And I realized that this story, suddenly, this story of this young, idealistic activist, this feminist environmentalist who'd gone to Syria to join a women-led revolution, was everybody's story, and everyone would have wanted a bit of it. Well, there's a considerable number of historical antecedents for it, too. It's like the youngster, it's like George Orwell, who went off and spoke and fought in the Spanish Civil War. Uh, you know, and a number of, of young people, you know, it's too long a list to even go through, who have gone and, and really risked their lives to make the world a better place, which you tend not to do when, with the best will in the world. You tend not to do it when you're older. It's a young person's folly, young person's, and bless their hearts. It's like the world, we're a better place for these kids who risk life and limb for what they believe in. And, and I have to say, the, what the Kurdish-led forces, just to catch everybody up to speed, because not everybody might know that the Kurds in the Middle East have, a, have a, you know, this phenomenal reputation for um, women's equality, social justice, and they're being stomped on by everybody in the, in the process of trying to carve out a place where they can have a democracy, their own democracy. And no, nobody wants them to. <laughs> and so Anna went, and she was not the only one. There's a, a number of, of foreigners from around the world who are going to help the Kurds fight to protect their, their land, um, protect their democracy, protect their beliefs. And Anna was one of them. Unfortunately, she was uh, very much a... She's a soldier who who fell in battle. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You're right to say that Anna was in a long tradition of young people who went to fight other people's causes, the, the cause of freedom. She considered herself an internationalist. In other words... The Kurds, whom she considered the most embattled of all people, were no less important individually. A Kurd was not less important than a Brit, so she would fight for travellers' rights in the UK or go to Calais and fight, uh, stand with the people who in were the in the jungle. She did not discriminate between one person and the next. So when there was an attack on Afrin... Anna fought to be sent to that town because she said, Kurds are dying there. My life is not more or less important than those Kurdish people who are being killed now, slaughtered by the Turks. Anna was the first British woman to die, but you're right in saying that 
many, many other people have died fighting with the Kurds. And by the way, the Kurds are credited with, along with the Brit American air power, um, winning the war against ISIS in Northern yeah, they've Syria. Stopped. They, they've stopped uh, ISIS. They absolutely <laughs> did. So the eight men, the eight British men and the one British woman, Anna, who died, uh, gave their lives to facilitate peace. And as you say, democracy, a woman-led democracy whereby every position of power, every mayor in every town is both a man and a woman. There, There is both a man and a woman in every position of power in this Kurdish state of Rojava in northern Syria. Whether it continues or not w w remains to be seen. Well, nobody can see the future. No All we can, can do is fight the battle in yeah. front of us. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and then hope that this becomes the norm. Yeah. This becomes yeah. business as usual yeah. and people yeah. are shocked and appalled yeah. um, when people no longer act that way. Yeah. That that's what we want. I, mean, I think I think that the reason I went to the BBC within three weeks of Anna's death, and there were people who thought I was mad, but I wanted to take control of that narrative. I decided that there was a huge risk that Anna's story would be misrepresented, so I took. I pitched it to the BBC. I chose a particular slot which did marry the personal with the global, called This World, where the way into the big story about the Kurds, which has never, by the way, been told in the UK, was valued. Um, so I'm extremely proud. I didn't direct that film. We ended up using a British female director. It was extremely important to me that the film was told from the skills and point of view of a female director. What's her name? Marina Parker. And I think she did a fantastic job. But at every step of the way, I was shepherding that project. So you were the producer then? I was then. the executive producer on it. And... Marina was Which is no small thing, Tor. No, it was you know, you may not have you may not have been the director, but just to be the executive producer of that, at that congratulations. Yeah, thank you. You I, know, we I, and that's one of the things about being in the creative industry is you have to wear multiple hats. Yes. Sometimes you're yes. behind the camera, yes. sometimes you're directing the cameraman and yeah. sometimes you're producing it. Exactly. And I and I feel very proud of that role because I don't actually think that as Anna's aunt I could have made a dispassionate film. On top of that, there was the emotional aspect of not really being capable of asking the right questions to the people closest to Anna when I was still immersed in my grieving process. So I handed it over, and yet it was still very, very challenging to have the double hat of Anna's aunt on the one hand and overseeing producer, hands-on producer on the other hand. But I'm very proud to say that all of Anna's friends in the internationalist community, the Kurds, and all of, most importantly, Anna's closest family members, love the film and feel that it did justice to Anna's story. It's not, it's not just them. The, I'm just going to, I said this in the, the introduction to you, but the Telegraph gave it five stars. It gained huge praise in, in all the media for the quality of that documentary. Yeah. I'm really proud of it. And you should be. We're going to take a, a short break, yeah. and we'll be back with you in a second. In 2015, Katie Asbestos set up Claret Press. 
Over the following months, she was so overwhelmed by inquiries from writers for editorial guidance and expertise that she set up Clapham Publishing Services, a business catering to every writing and publishing need. At Clapham Publishing Services, our editors have many years' experience in the publishing industry. We've helped produce a wide range of projects. We've edited everything from fiction to doctoral dissertations, produced copy for blogs and ghostwritten memoirs, and helped with the self-publishing of novels, art books, cookbooks, and non-fiction. Writers who send their work to us know that they're getting experienced and knowledgeable feedback, appropriate for the stage they're working at. All our clients receive the support of a team who are aiming for the same goal as the author. Whatever you're working on, we can tailor our service to you. Get in touch with us today by emailing contact at clappenpublishing.com or visit our website, clappenpublishing.com. Welcome back to Clareton Conversation. I'm Katie Espester, your host, and today we're interviewing Tor Bridges, the BAFTA award-winning film producer. So, Tor, we've just been discussing your very successful career as a director and producer um, of documentaries for the BBC, among other outlets. But you have a there's a whole different side of your personality which we haven't touched on, and, I, and I'd like to touch on it because I I, I also found this quite moving. Here we are, the creative industry, which is notorious for being a harsh, hard, cold, difficult place to eke out any kind of an existence. And you mentor young people. You are the uh, founding member, the founding executive uh, director of Global Girl Media UK. Perhaps you can tell something about that. Well, Global Girl Media UK was founded in the States by Amy Williams 10 years ago, and she had a vision to give a voice to young women in the media by training them in documentary skills. So when I was approached in London in 2016 to run the UK chapter, I was absolutely delighted. This fitted with all my values. And it's kind of payback to the BBC, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's karma, isn't it? It's like, you guys treated me like this. I'm going to make sure that there's a whole bunch of girls who can do this. Yeah, it was, it was incredibly satisfying. We ran the first <laughs> training and one of the short films made by a group of the first graduates stealing intimacy about revenge porn won a Gracie's Award in the States, and we went to New York to pick up the, the trophy. The so gone. that was all really exciting. So we've now spent three years training young women um, over multiple trainings, a, a big training once a year with smaller trainings to empower them and update their skills, really. Um, and recently we have hired a new program manager, a fantastic young woman called Dami, who is much closer to the beneficiaries in age and background than I was. So I'm very, very happy to have handed over a sustainable, financially stable charity. Um, and it's it's doing great. Hey, congratulations on Thank that. Thank you. You know, because we do need to have diversity in all aspects of life including the creation of our media, you know, especially in the creation of our media, because this is how we talk to each other, is through media. So we've got to have women in positions where they're creating media. Absolutely. And, and I think I've become more feminist as I've got older, in a way. Uh, being the mother of a teenager opened my eyes to the 
pornographication, shall I say, of media, the kinds of messages young women and young men are exposed to, whereby they continue to be objectified, continue to be stereotyped and sexualized. I think perhaps the corrosive nature of our media may be getting worse rather than better in terms of the representation of women in the media, and that's partly because there are too few women telling their own stories. We're still looking at a situation where men are telling women's stories rather than women. And so one of the things I noticed when, in the first training of our global girls, our UK global girls, was that a lot of them didn't feel they had a right to tell their stories. So we worked, for instance, on their self-esteem by starting every day with yoga and meditation, by helping them to calm and quieten and get in touch with their own innate voices, their own creativity, and help them feel, by giving them a safe space, which was a women-only space, that their voices mattered. I find it really interesting that the same values that motivated you to go into documentary making, these 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 values of honor and decency and human rights um, is now motivating you to set up charities to hear voices that are not being heard. It's this, in an odd way, it's a, it's a different job you undertook to set this charity up, very different from being a working in documentaries, but it's the same motivating impulse. Absolutely. One of the first jobs I did in New York after I graduated from Harvard was to join an organization called Communication for Change, where that organization was run by a visionary woman called Martha Stewart, not... Not the Martha Stewart. Not the decorator. (laughs) And she took video equipment to villagers in very remote places and formed a library called the Village Video Network, whereby the people making biogas in China could exchange their films with the Indian women trying to set up a stall in a local market. And they used video as a tool for change. And that really stayed with me. So in in 2013, I did a master's in international development and communications. And the whole point was to bring my documentary filmmaking skills to people whose voices were marginalized, I felt. Uh, and I met then an organization here called Insight Share UK, who are the UK sort of equivalent of the organization I started out with. So I've come full circle, really. Uh, It's (laughs) very interesting. And it aligns with your Buddhist beliefs. Absolutely. That this is, you know, life's a circle. Sorry, I keep saying absolutely. But yes, it it feels all very integrated. It feels very organic, too, I have to say. That this is, although I'm sure that this is, Everybody else's career looks like it's all naturally emerged one step to the next and you're walking down a straight road. And I just, I just know enough about life to know that actually this is probably a, a, you know, a very hard struggle for you. But I'm, I'm, I find it very inspiring that you have been led by your principles in a world where we have too few being led by <laughs> So thank you for that. On behalf of on behalf of those of us who still believe in common decency and and honor and and um, equality, uh, thank you very much for being 
for being the person you are and for letting your principles lead you. What What's next for you, Tor Bridges? Katie, you're making me cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, very, it's very touching that you see me in that way. And it's, it's, it's very nice to be affirmed because, yes, indeed, my career has felt very patchwork and quite random at times. And so it's... It's lovely to feel it coming together. I never knew when I started in New York at Communication for Change that I'd come back to giving video to young people in, for instance, Ethiopia and help refugees in northern Ethiopia make films in the camps about gender-based violence. I did not foresee that, and yet everything I've done seemed to lead to it. So I, I really I love that. I really love that you can see that and appreciate it because it's not always been obvious to me. <laughs> well, look, I think one of the things that's, that's most stressful about being in the creative industry is the uncertainty of it. You know, it's there's no path to follow. We're all breaking our own individual trail, and we don't know where it's leading to, and we're not sure it's the right trail, and surely to God, there's got to be a path you can follow that's more straightforward. You know, unlike, you know, being a lawyer, or a doctor, or or an engineer in a, in a, in a big firm, where you start off with a set I, I, which I envy, like I, I so badly envy that when, when we are just occasionally just trying to move forward somehow. But you're now at a position in your life when you can look back and go, actually, there is a pattern. That must feel good. That does feel very good. So this is, we're giving hope. If there's anybody here that's young and just starting off, Keep out of people. Persevere. <laughs> Nevertheless, she persisted. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I would like to... I think it's important to give that message to the young women out there. Women in particular, don't be deterred. You are as worthy. Your voice matters. Your story matters. And we want to hear it and we need to hear it for the sake of our democracy. I think a variety of voices are essential. That's a great way to end the our interview today, our conversation. Tor, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And, and uh, what, what's next for you? Yeah. Or, or, wait, wait a minute. Why am I even asking that question? I've just said that we don't know where we're going to. I, ta- I take it back, Tor. <laughs> you don't. You don't have. You don't know. <laughs> I do have a little thing on the on the burn on the back burner, and that is I'm supporting a young. Iranian-British photojournalist, an amazing woman I met in Syria called Mariam Ashrafi, to make a film about landmines. She unfortunately experienced an IED explosion in front of her when she was interviewing someone, and the soldier died. And she is driven to make a film in in honor of the deceased man. So I'm helping to support her um, as a producer on that project. I'm really excited by it. That's wonderful. I'm very much looking forward to seeing that um, that documentary coming out. And um, keep up the good work, Tor. And thank you so much for coming in to speak to us at Clareton Conversation. Thanks so much, Katie. It was a pleasure. Next week, our guest will be Adam Saunders, an award-winning British composer and music leader. 
So pour yourself a glass of claret and join our conversation. Claret and Conversation is available on all major platforms. If you like this podcast and would like to hear more about professionals in the creative industry, please subscribe, comment, and share. We'd love to hear from you. For the occasional update and other news, please like us on Twitter or like the Facebook page for Claret Press or Clapham Publishing Services or subscribe to either website.